Welcome to episode 62 of On the Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On the Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now, here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Have you ever had an audacious goal, worked tirelessly towards it, and it finally comes true? I've wanted to write a book for years and years. So getting to publish Croissants versus Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences as a Kindle book was a major milestone. Having it reach number one in three Amazon categories, received nearly 170 reviews worldwide, and remain a bestseller six weeks later, not gonna lie, that has been way cool. But having 100 paperbacks of my book arrive in two enormous boxes, that's pretty incredible. I ordered all these books to get ready for my Boston book launch party, which was last Tuesday. It was a very sweet event. It kind of reminded me of my wedding day. So many people came out to support me and I wanted to spend quality time with each one of them and really couldn't. And I also, I didn't find time to eat, just like my wedding day. It really was a great event, and I want to give a shout out of thanks to all who attended. You can purchase croissants versus bagels at robbysamuels.com slash bookstore and receive all the book's bonuses, including a free audiobook. On the Schmooze is a proud headliner on C-Suite Radio, which is part of the C-Suite Network, a network of a half million C-level executives. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest is a speaker and advisor who helps companies tap into the human side of business. Over the course of her expansive career, she's experienced her fair share of disruption and corporate upheaval. Surviving all manner of corporate restructuring, reorganization, and multi-million dollar acquisitions, she has seen firsthand how growth objectives suffer because people's strategies fall short of expectation. That's why she's made it her mission to help companies cultivate the human point of view in today's data-driven era. An internationally skilled C-suite marketing executive, she has over 25 years of experience working in global advertising, marketing, and corporate communications for a variety of industry-leading companies such as Kraft, Unilever, Nokia, Cadbury, Coors, Gerber's, and Navtech. She's currently writing the book, Now What?, a survivor's guide for navigating and thriving through acquisition, which will help companies and their workforces flourish through mergers and acquisitions. Please join me in welcoming Jennifer J. Fondrave. Hello. Thank you so much for having me, Robbie. Thrilled to be here. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me from your office in Chicago. Um, I want to just jump right in. This is a podcast about leadership and building strong networks. So tell me, what does leadership mean to you And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? So I'd have to confess that my my view on leadership has evolved a lot um, over time. And if I was really honest with myself, my first view of leadership uh, was, uh, quite frankly, it was me as a tyrant. And uh, I say that because I was your bossy older sister. Uh, Perhaps you may have some listeners who can relate to that. And in that capacity, as bossy older sister, my parents had divorced. 
uh, I was left often in charge of running the house, or as my sister would say, uh, in charge of running her life. And I'd confess, frankly, that was a very good first taste of leadership skills that will not be successful, uh, either uh, in yeah. life, either in <laughs> life or in the workplace. Uh, you will not have people want to follow you. In fact, you will have people who run in the other direction, which is, and I say that was a very good first experience with, uh, with how not to be a leader because I find, I'm surprised at how often I come across leaders who are a bit of the benevolent dictator, where it's their way or the highway. And you do have people that follow that, but it's purely out of fear. And you never get them to follow you long term. So that experience, I think, was a great first reference point on how not to lead. Yeah, I love that you (laughs) dug all the way back. (laughs) And I'm sure your sibling will appreciate that you dug all the way back to the early days. We, we now have a, a great relationship, uh, so you can lead that way and <laughs> come back around. But actually, you know, as I said, it's evolved over time. I learned a lot from that experience. And then, frankly, when I, when I first realized I had the skills to potentially be a good leader was in high school. Uh, and oddly enough, I was a student council president, but it came more through being appointed team captain of my tennis team. I think anyone who's had an opportunity to lead um, a, their team, a sports team in any way, it's a great experience to really learn invaluable leadership skills. Um, typically, you're appointed by your peers and the coach. You have to understand the role that everyone plays on the team. Uh, and you don't necessarily have to be the best uh, at the sport, but you need to bring, you need to bring yourself to the, the mission as well. And that for me, set me on the path, my current path of what it takes to be a good leader, to understand the role that the team plays. And then the, the part that I can contribute. And I'd like to think I've evolved, uh, in my leadership skills since then, but that was really the, the foundation for me. I'm after, so curious. After trying out being a benevolent dictator didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> so Jennifer, I'm so curious because you've you've worked with so many um, brands that are you know, household names, and in fact, if I think about it, I have a lot of these household names in my house when I look at your list. Um, but you didn't probably start there. I think for a lot of people, it's hard for them to imagine how to get to the C-suite. And I know that my listener base is sort of a mix. There's people who are listening from C-suite radio. So they're in the C-suite already, VP level or above. And then there are those who are still climbing that ladder, that corporate ladder, um, making their way uh, day by day to the corner office. So at what point did you realize, oh, I have a shot at this, at this like higher level? And, and, and then once you have the responsibility, like what, what was it what you thought it would be? Well, it's funny because if I, uh, if I think about it, and I just did a career planning workshop uh, last week that was uh, a lot of fun, and I said to the people in the workshop, don't, be a, don't discard the job that you feel like you fell into, right? That I, I find that in career planning, it's more have career aspirations. It's really hard to plan a career. So many things happen along the way. So have career aspirations. And I jokingly said to them, I wanted to be ambassador to France. Like that was my, that was my career aspiration. Um, 
fortunately, I had a professor who said, you know, you really should have a fallback plan. You do pretty well in marketing. I think you've got some skills here. You know, just have that fallback plan and God bless him for, uh, for doing that. Because I fell into advertising. That was my first really big break, if you will. Uh, once I recognized I would not be ambassador to France. <laughs> and so in There's that, still hope. There's still there hope. There is. Absolutely there is. Uh, it's just not the path that I thought it would be to get that ambassadorship. <laughs> but what, what I would say is in those first 15 years that I was in advertising, I just, I kept working hard to acquire skills and, and honing my, my leadership uh, skills as well. In advertising, at the time that I was in advertising, you had media, research, creative, all in-house. Everything was there. And it was my job to understand what the client's needs were and bring to them the best campaign that we could, both creatively from a media standpoint and well-researched. And it was in that role, as the creatives came to trust me, as the research teams felt that I was a good partner because I didn't waste their time. And the media team felt that I would only come to them with creative that I thought would be successful in the marketplace. When you start to build that type of a reputation and develop those types of partnerships, that's when I thought, I, if I continue to, to do well and want to grow and learn and, and support my, my teammates and colleagues, I could, I could get to a higher level. I, I saw that opportunity. I had that positive feedback. And I want to emphasize it wasn't just because my boss said, hey, you're doing really well. And I had a performance evaluation that said so. You know, you know, at least I did, it's when you get peer feedback on a daily basis that says, I really enjoy working with you. I do my best work when I'm working with you. Uh, when you're bringing out the best in others that you can see the potential to be a good leader. That uh, and is that's so that's powerful. That's so powerful. I think what a great way to also redefine leadership to really be thinking about how do you bring out the best in your team? Absolutely. You, and particularly the peer, like when you're not directly supervising someone, you don't have a leadership title, you know, in the org chart, how do you still inspire the best in the people that you work with? And then people, well, cause that's, that's leadership. It's not, yeah. it's not boss right? It's not manager, but it is leadership when people see what you're dedicating yourself to. And I also wanted to underscore 15 years, right? Like it does, right. it's not a, this is not an uh, overnight thing. This is not a five-year plan. Right. <laughs> this isn't like a, a read these five leadership books no. <laughs> and it'll just happen. It's, it's you, you really work to the craft of your industry and also of the leadership aspects as well. When did you like, get there? Like, when did you know, okay, I've, I've made it into the C-suite. I'm, I'm here. This is, this is what work I'm going to be doing. What was that like? Uh, it was, it was exhilarating and petrifying at the same time. So after 15 years in advertising, I moved into marketing. Two women that I had worked with in advertising moved to a company called Navtech, Navigation Technologies. And the woman who ultimately became my boss needed a marketing director to move to Europe who had multicultural sensibilities, could uh, bring uh, American perspective on marketing, right? The positioning, the value prop. I mean, all the books that come out of the U.S. were fixated on, on marketing, right? And so she needed someone who had that understanding 
but multicultural sensibilities and uh, just had a great connection with her and she sent me to France. So I, in a way, have done my ambassadorship through, <laughs> through that role. Yeah, yep. And it was probably the steepest learning curve other than my first few months on the job in advertising, the steepest learning curve that I had had in 15 years. But it was, it was petrifying and exhilarating all at the same time. Um, I had been in B2C selling beer and cheese slices and Nestle chocolate chip cookies, right, to people. And now I was selling a service and a solution, a map, a digital map, if you will. And it was thrilling. And I had an amazing boss. Um, I inherited a team that was looking for a leader. They hadn't had a leader in the past. And I, I was a great fit. For, for what they were looking for because they needed somebody to help them feel that they had valuable skills. And it just, it, it was there, frankly, that I thought, okay, my style of leadership can work, right? Bringing out the best in others, that it didn't have to be all about me that, because I could have gone that way too, right? I could have said, oh, I need to prove myself to all the senior guys here and I need them to see how spectacular I am. And the path that I intentionally chose was, how do I help senior sales leadership understand the value that they have in this team here already? And I believe that that would cascade to me, right? That the halo effect of showing that team and their strengths, that ultimately people would see how, how I had helped to bring that, uh, that leadership that they needed. And, and fortunately for me, it was successful. And um, my boss um, was, was great, right? Acknowledged it and then had me come back to Chicago and say, would love to now have you do that globally, which, wow. was, a, which was a huge reward. I, I, yeah. really, I felt very fortunate. So how would you then define leadership? Like after this conversation, like what's the, what's the message that you would now sort of share with people? The one word that always sticks in my mind, and I would say that's why my definition of leadership has evolved, is humility. For me, the most impressive leaders they make the tough decisions, they, they guide, but above everything, they have a sense of humility about them. They don't feel that they've got to be the smartest person in the room. Uh, they don't always think that they have all the answers. They have a level of humility that recognizes it's the team, it's the people around them yeah. that will make for success. And I've, I've had the benefit of witnessing leaders who operate like that and seeing them be successful. I've seen my fair share of leaders who have different styles that don't match with mine. But having seen that a humble leader can be successful gave me the courage to say, I too can, um, can be successful this way. And I've listened. I've had my egotistical moments. <laughs> I think we will <laughs> all have those where you kind of want to just- I'm, I'm like, I have a listener on line three. <laughs> Line three, you wanted to share something about Jennifer having an egotistical moment? <laughs> You're you know, lucky it's not a call-in show. We would have heard from your sister. We would have. Oh, yeah. We, yeah. The lines would be ringing and the lights would be going on. So, no, but you, you learn quickly, I think, at least if you're smart. What's the recipe for success? And, and for me, humility is a, key, is a key piece of that. So you uh, are making a pivot in your life and your career and you... Uh, or leaving behind sort of the, the traditional nine to five and pivoting to do this other work, using all the experience you've accumulated 
from doing that. And I'd love to hear a little bit about what you find rewarding about what you're doing today. Everything. Uh, I should qualify though. I never feel like I've had a nine to five job. I, I think nine to five jobs. I'm not sure. I'd love to meet the person who that exists for now in advertising. I feel like I was constantly there until eight o'clock at night. It's just, you're, you're always trying to do something in service of the client. You are wanting to be there rent and ready and same in marketing. I just, I feel like, uh, it was constantly, a greater than 50 plus hour work week. But now I'm doing that for myself. Right now it's about all of those hours are about putting something out into the world that I've created that I believe will help other people that I know will help other people. And so it's thrilling and petrifying all over again because now I mean this is someone as as I've shared, right? I've been 20 plus years in the corporate work environment. I love structure. I've done well in corporate America. I've, I've been successful, but I just felt uh, a need to to go out with a message. You alluded to it in, in my bio uh, that helps people who are going through an acquisition to not just survive it, but thrive through it. I, I went through a couple of those um, they were not fun experiences, and I just felt that if I could help more people understand what to expect, how to get through it, and and frankly, how to see the opportunity in the chaos, that I would be doing so much more good in the world than just continuing to market other products. And this is no disrespect. I mean, I had a marketing job. Who knows? I may go back to it again someday. But I just felt a need to walk out on what I keep joking is the wobbly plank over the swirling pit of crocodiles in the hopes that uh, the leap that I'm taking uh, is the right leap. And I, and I feel good and I'm excited but petrified at the same time. Well, it's a familiar feeling. You know you're on the edge of greatness because whenever you've had this before, you've achieved great things. And um, it also sounds like it's it's in the entrepreneur world, they talk about the riches are in the niches and that you really need to get very clear about who you're serving and who your ideal client is. And, and you really have a, such a clear sense of that having been through this yourself and you know you can help people, um, like you said, navigate and thrive through this turbulent time in their life and help them kind of get to the other side and help companies help their, their, their employees come to the other side. So it's wonderful. A lot of times when I'm speaking to someone who's just starting out uh, on that wobbly plank, they, they're all over the place <laughs> about who they're serving and what they're, so they're saying. Um, you feel very, very clear. I'm, I'm curious, as you made the decision, like what was most challenging about making the decision to, to lose that structure and do this on your own, to do this not on your own in isolation, because you clearly have a lot of people supporting right. you, but where you're the captain and the cook and oh, the bottle absolutely. washer. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny because I'll, I'll tell you, Robbie, when I first started out, I think even when we were first engaging, all I thought about was I want to write this book. I just want to write a book, help more people, but I'm going to go into marketing again. I'm going to go back to that job. But I had so many people who reacted positively to the message of the book that said, there is no guide for middle managers, right? They're to, they are the people who aren't part of the strategy discussions when an acquisition happens, but they're burdened with the execution. And they're trying to figure out what en which end is up. And 
because so much positive reaction kept building, I kept thinking, wow, this is, this book's going to do really well. But I would, at the same time, people would say, but a book, why stop at a book? A book is only going to reach so many people. And you have an opportunity to really have this message go broader than that. If you truly want to help as many people as possible. And that was my goal, right? When people said, well, why are you writing a book, right? You don't make any money off a book. I wasn't actually even thinking about the money. It was more about how do I help more people go through what was a really tough couple of experiences for me? How do I help more people have a better experience? And so now, and I would say, I keep telling, I'm joking that I'm the reluctant solopreneur uh, because I, I've come to this and now I'm bought in so the wobbly plank is, l- is less wobbly because of my own confidence and commitment to it. But it was really just saying, taking that leap of faith in, in my skills and considering myself my own resource, my Perfect. own revenue resource, if you will. But to your point, right? I'm the cook. I'm, the, I'm, I'm operations. I'm accountant. <laughs> I'm, I'm marketing. I'm book writer. It's, it's a lot. And, um, you know, I knew that that would be daunting and I'm just thankful for the network that I've created over time because I have tapped people from 20 plus years ago in my career to help me on the path that I'm on now. So I'm thankful, you know, your book on networking is spot on because I have reached out to so many different people who crossed my path along my life and I've said, Hey, I need your help now. (laughs) Willing to help. You know, it's it's a fun place to be when you realize you have a higher calling to to spread a message and support people in this way and write a book. And I feel really fortunate because I I did a lot of the work before writing the book to really start building the platform, building the community. Um, and I still feel like, oh, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Like the book is is exploding and everyone's reading it. Everyone's talking to me. And it's like, wow, you know, it's really about it being a business, not just a book. It's definitely a clarity piece that I got um, in the last few months before the book came out is understanding, oh, you know, you've got to have something to offer people who reach out to you. And I can't just do one-on-one coaching with everyone. I don't have time <laughs> to do one-on-one right. coaching. So it's like imagining, you know, the, the virtual online group programs and the video content and, you know, the speaking opportunities, just thinking about how do you take the people who are inspired by your message and encourage them along a path and you know hold them accountable for the changes that they hope to make and give them the tools mm-hmm. and of course the whole time you're growing you're learning you're stretching yourself and learning about all these different things and you and I actually met I want to mention this because I think it's really really kind of keen um, you and I met through a course that is organized and run by Dory Clark, who I probably mentioned every other episode because she's a fantastic resource. So if people haven't checked out doryclark.com. Ditto, ditto. I second the the comment. Um, And so there's a fantastic Facebook group that recognized expert course members are in and that I was sort of reaching out to people and inviting anyone to kind of connect with me and let's do a little video chat. Could you share your initial reaction when you saw that I was posting, Hey, who wants to chat? Anyone? I'm, I want to learn about your work. I want to support you. What was You had an interesting reaction to that. Uh, you know, there's probably a, a couple thoughts. And again, second, uh, the comment on Dory, the recognized expert was the first time I invested in myself. I thought, 
I've never done an online course like this. What? This woman's going to help me become a recognized expert. I talked to her once, but I just had a feeling. I looked at her book. She had come referred to me by someone else who I literally had just talked to the week before. I, I, I Oftentimes I just find it's, it's kismet, right? There's just random people who pop into your life at different points and you have to be smart enough and have the openness enough to go, I need to follow through on this. And so uh, in taking Dory's course, I have met wonderful people like yourself. And so when you reached out and said, would love to chat with people, I'm, I'm always looking to help people progress their career. And yeah, I still had a little bit of my corporate, wait a minute, right? There's never anybody who just wants to help someone without wanting something in return. What's his agenda? What's he looking for, right? I just, I still had like a little bit of the, the corporate mindset of, wow, how can somebody be that willing and giving without knowing anything about who I am, what I do, and how I might help him or her? And so I was fascinated by that. And then when we had our conversation, I think, I think we actually finally just said, okay, we need to get off the phone because we have other commitments to deal with. And I just, I, I think that opened my eyes to, there are so many people out there willing to help you if you let them. And you can do the same for them, but you've got to be open to that. And I think I, I would have to confess, I had through several dec- uh, decades in corporate America, you kind of put up a shield. You have a little bit of an armor because you're always worried that someone's got an agenda. And it's been, it's been refreshing for me. And uh, as many as my corporate colleagues say, it's taken years off my life. Everyone keeps telling me how fabulous I look. And I say, quit your job. <laughs> <laughs> quit your corporate job, right? Go off. I said, trust me, I'll get the wrinkles back again now that I'm off and on my own. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> I'm on a mission. So I think it's given me renewed energy. Yeah, I feel that mission myself. And I also know that it takes an incredible amount of dedication and time to achieve the kind of goals that you're looking to achieve. And also, even when you were working um, in the corporate environment, like you're working, like you said, in a high intensity environment, and the work doesn't easily stay at the office. Um, And particularly now, now there's no such office as home, home as office. What is what is like the work-life balance piece? What is the integration, balance? I don't know, whatever you might call that. What does um, that look like for you? And um, then like, is there some way in which you're uh, kind of helping yourself by having those, those habits, those, like what, is, what, is, what are your self-care habits, I guess? Well, well, just to keep promoting Dory even more, right? The, I think a lot of the discussion in the recognized expert gave me a lot of input because so many people through that community, and, and I should highlight that you don't have to be a part of a recognized expert to create community. I mean, there's Facebook communities. I think having people help you be accountable and give you strategic advice that helps you think through things, helps you carve out your priorities, that was a huge benefit to me. Uh, fortunately, I've been in marketing. And so that skill set comes naturally to me. But it's very different to market something else versus marketing yourself. And I had, <laughs> to, get, I had to get over. So if you recall, right, the, one of the first exercises we all did was a credibility statement. 
And I struggled to write something that sounded really cool <laughs> about what I've done and what I'm hoping to do. And through other people inputting, you need to have that. So I, I would say I got smart enough, fast enough to realize you don't go out there on your own. Ta- leverage, leverage the community. Learn from other people and give your your experience as well. I've I've always tried to give advice for those within our community and other communities. Here's how you connect with the C-suite. Here's how you sell what you do. Here's how to pitch to someone who's only looking at you as a potential cost to them. Here's how you show them how you will be a revenue generator, right? And so by being able to contribute my own experience and help, I have felt that I'm not always taking, taking from the community Mm -hmm. and and giving too. But that was, it was, it's a very good point, Robbie, that that is probably one of the, the immediate struggles. If you're used to corporate structure, how do you structure yourself in a way that has you being productive? Oh, absolutely. I would confess I was, I was probably naive at first. This was when I still was like, I'm just going to write a book. Um, because once I realized, wow, I need to do more than write a book if I really want for this to have impact, it suddenly went from just a book to, holy cow, a website, speaking, how do you really blossom and grow and and run a business? And that's been a tremendous learning curve for me as well. So your professional network has uh, grown, is like probably the wrong word for it, but like expanded, blossomed. Blossomed. So there's the people you've worked at at all the companies you've ever worked for, and you've kept in touch with a number of them. In fact, you just referenced earlier that some of them are actually helping you yeah. as you do this, this new iteration of Jennifer. Um, what are you doing to purposefully nurture and sustain those connections? Are you, do you have a process or a plan, or is it really just happenstance on when you reach out to people that you, that you, not your like most inner circle friends, but like the next layer out? Well, you know, it's interesting. I read Adam Grant's book, Give and Take, and I love that book. Uh, I, I thought, it's funny because it's, it had been somewhat of my philosophy, but I feel after reading that book, I exponentially have become that much more of a giver. I've always had the philosophy, pay it forward and it will come back to you. Um, I felt though that when I was in corporate, in my corporate job, it was harder for me to do that. I barely had time to do my job, be a good wife and take care of my family. And so now in my current role, I'm thankful for the people who I had made connections with. The illustrator of my book is a gentleman I used to work with in advertising 15 years ago. And we'd stayed in touch and he jumped at the chance, which I'm thankful for. Photographer who did many of the photographs on my website. I knew him at the University of Illinois stayed in touch, bumped into him a couple of times. It's, it's just ironic how different people along the way now are, are adding so much value to what I'm doing. And I'm constantly looking for how can I help them? So the photographer, I reference him on the website as, and, and make sure that people know who he is and what he's all about. The illustrator, he's out promoting my book even before I am with the illustrations. And to me, you have to have that philosophy of, of pay it forward and give. Always look for how you can give to others. And for me, it has been, it's been enriching. And I, I, I see it daily coming back to me. 
in, in greater ways, uh, more people that I'm meeting because I helped someone else out. And it's just, you know, you don't, you don't, it always feels like, oh, that's just touchy feely and that's for other people. But I, I can say I'm living proof because the network that I've had has grown and I'm thankful for the connections I made, but I'm, I'm looking to continue to grow it, which again, I'm just going to keep going back to your book is why I love, I love the, the philosophy that you have in, in croissants and bagels, because it isn't just about a network. It's about relationship building. And because I hadn't just, these weren't people just in my network. I had built a relationship with them that even years later, they were willing to help me in the next iteration of my career. And, and I'm thankful for that. Yeah, that's proof that you were doing it right all along and that you didn't wait to like, you know, 15 years later to start building the relationship from scratch that you found ways to maintain it. I love that you mentioned Adam Grant's book because for me, I think of the philosophy of abundance that mm-hmm. if, I, if I give you money or time, I'm, I have less money or time. But if I give you knowledge, if I share uh, that like brainstorming power with you, if I right. give you guidance, I don't lose anything from that. I don't have less knowledge. And in, and in fact, now I have a stronger relationship, which again, it's not a monetary thing, but it's, it's the more of those relationships in my life, I feel like I'm getting further faster and, you know, instead of the go it alone kind of philosophy. So little ways that you can support people. And so honestly, I mean, Dory's name comes up in conversations all the time. She's been a good friend of mine for a long time. She's a mentor. She's, I've called her my North Star. I mean, she's doing amazing things in the world. But one of the things that I do is every time I talk to someone who I think is interesting, I ask if, you know, I mention her, they either know her or by the the end of the paragraph, (laughs) they want to. And I've introduced her to a few people if I thought it would be a good fit and and support her um, course members. And so, yeah, it's like you don't have to be, um, I don't know, it's like you think, wow, there's somebody out there, like how would I possibly give them anything of value? I think that you can be really creative. Like this photographer, you know, loves that you're, you know, giving his name out and you're helping him on on your website. And the same thing with the illustrator, he's now promoting himself as well as you when right. he's sharing what's, what's going on. And so there's just lots of ways that it often is a, a win-win if we right. are being strategic and we have to see that. And, I, and thank you for mentioning my book a couple of times. I really do appreciate it. I'm super thrilled. We're recording this about 10 days before it go, comes out. And I already, I think I'm at 263 um, members of my launch team. And... <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, originally I had a goal of 200 and then I now have a goal of, you know, 5,000. No, I'm kidding. 300. Um, but hey, if I can get to 5,000 in the next 10 days, let that happen. Um, and that I've started to ask people to email me their reviews and, um, and we're holding them and then giving them back in time for the actual Amazon launch. And I have like 67 reviews that have come in. Congratulations. Uh, just a handful of days. Yeah. So it feels really good and it's a lot of work and a lot of it is something that you do by yourself. You don't usually get the public accolades. My wife's describing this time as sort of like your birthday every day where people write, write nice notes to you. <laughs> so or, like every- or you could look at it as, you know, when people say uh, it's the obit, right? So you don't have to wait to die for people to write nice things about you. Yeah. Great. <laughs> it's nice to see it. Right. You don't have to wait to the afterlife, whatever that might be. So, um, but also, I guess to, to your point earlier, it's not just they're saying nice things about me because mostly they're saying, 
the impact the book is having on their life. Exactly. That, that it's practical, that they already use some of the ideas, um, that they're sharing the ideas with other people and they're sharing the book with other people and they're thinking about who else could really benefit from it or that it's helped them shift their own fear and angst into feeling more empowered and strategic. Um, that is why you write a book, right? That's, that's why you build a business. That's why for me, right? And it sounds like for you as well, is to really have that impact in the world. And, uh, and for a lot of years, you don't see the results because you're just kind of plodding away, getting the work done. And it's, it's a very nice moment. I am, I am appreciating it. It's going to be a busy few weeks. And, um, and then it's just like, I also had this recognition and I want to share this with you, Jennifer. When you're writing a book, it's all about launch day. That's, that's your like deadline, right? About a week ago, I realized that's launch day is day one. Yes. Launch day is not D-Day. It's not the end. It's actually the beginning. Yep. And that changed. I was like, oh, I got to start thinking about what happens after the book and how do I leverage this and stay in touch with people and continue to offer value. And that's, that is the business part. That's the entrepreneur part because if you're just writing a book, you write a book, you throw it out to the world and you're done. But if you really want to have a big impact, yeah, you're right. Um, you've got to do more than that. And, um, I, I'm so <laughs> glad I had that. Honestly, I had that epiphany probably just only three months ago because I still had in my head, oh, I'm just writing a book. I'm going to get it out there. I'll get it to people. This will be great. And so many people just kept saying, yeah, but that's, you've got such a bigger, broader platform. You got to think bigger, think broader. And uh, it is so true. And and to your point, right, you know this, but I'm going to say this for any C-suite executives, for all the C-suite executives who listen to your show, uh, the reality is that so many companies invest so much money in conferences and events, and they have a difficult defining, difficult time defining the ROI. As a CMO, I face that. So your premise is helping them exponentially build up the investment that they've already made and get more return on it by having people be more successful at a conference, develop relationships that could turn into clients that can turn into contracts. And that in my mind is music to particularly CFOs and CEOs ears, ears, right? What? I'm investing a million in this event and you can make sure that everyone that goes to that event is successful and builds the kinds of relationships that we need. Yeah. So you've got a you've got a great message, and so I'm I'm always happy to be able to to push that. And in my own case, I'm equally targeting CEOs now, not Fortune 500 companies. For me, it's those middle market companies that are looking to make sure that their acquisition is successful. Mm-hmm. The first 100 days are the most critical, and they want to be successful. That's the kind of CEO that I'm looking for, and Smart. we'll find them. I know we will, but you yeah. have to be smart in how you position and how you Absolutely. go after it. So the book is called Croissants versus Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences. What are your best tips for making the most out of a conference? Is there something, you and I actually, we're just at a conference together. We were at Influence, the National Speakers Association uh, annual event. Um, it's a multi-day event. It goes on for like five years or five days. I don't know. <laughs> it's a lot of time. Um, so yeah, what what's your strategy for being successful and what's worked for you in the past and what are you doing differently? 
Well, you know, and I, I'm going to sound like I'm just constantly hawking you. I, <laughs> I, I felt really strong about my networking capabilities. You've heard me say repeatedly throughout the, our, our discussion here that a lot of what I'm able to do today is because I, I had networked and, and made connections. But what I love most about your philosophy, and it's the philosophy I had before, which is be inclusive have a sensitivity and a sensibility. So your idea of be the croissant, right? Open up to people so they feel comfortable to join your group versus being the bagel, the, the closed circle group that no one dares try to break through. I thought that was brilliant. And it's, it's, it had been the way I looked at things. I always, when someone would walk up and I could see them kind of hovering around, trying to get in, I would always be that person to say, hey, come join us. But that's tough. That takes a lot of courage to break in. So you've got to go one step beyond and say, we were just talking about X. So you can help the person catch up to speed and not feel like I've got, they've got to listen for the next half hour to figure out what the heck you all were talking about. The faster you can help bring someone into the conversation, then I, I have found that's led to some of the most amazing conversations I've had with people afterwards because they, you develop in an instant a level of trust where they go, wow, this person cared enough to bring me into the conversation, help me catch up to speed. I want to talk to her. And, and I'm thankful for that because that was my inclination. But you gave a great, I don't know what the word is, mnemonic, a way to think about that. So people intentionally do that as opposed to trying to remember to be polite, which is why, you know, I, I think we should all be a little bit more polite. <laughs> Your networking would really go further if you were. Um, but you know, I, it's funny. Uh, I think that um, the word "polite" for some people are like, "Oh, that's just sort of like polite, like in a PC kind of way." And I think, well, do you want to be effective? Like, why are you leaving the house? Right. I mean, it's a lot of effort to leave the house, and particularly to go to a conference. Like you said, even on an individual level, to get yourself out of the office, at, away from home, away, for several days at a conference, it's a huge investment of time and money, and. I think a lot of people don't fully understand why they're there and they don't have uh, a real intentions and their body language mirrors that. So if they, don't set good, if they don't set intentions, their body language ends up being really closed because they forget that they're there to meet people. Like right. you can learn anything, you know, online these days. Like you, there's very little you can't learn online. So you're and going made, for the I people. Made- yeah, and I made the mistake early on when I was a marketing director, just assuming, oh, my team, they, they know what they need to do when they go to this conference. They know what they need to get. Here are these objectives, all clear. And when people would come back, and this was early on, uh, I would say, well, how was the conference? Uh, it was okay. I didn't really get much out of it. Uh, the speakers weren't any good. The, the demonstrations were so-so. And I thought, we've just invested money in this. The, the onus is on you, not the conference. You can always get something out of a conference, even the worst conferences I've been to. If you go at it with the right mindset to say, what can I learn from this? What can I bring to it? And, and that's why I thought um, I really enjoyed the ways that you gave people ways to think about how they approach it. Because you do, you have to be very clear. What are my objectives? What am I hoping to achieve? But you can't be regimented and rigid about it. It's, and what can I give to the people I meet? How could we equally help each other? And uh, once I started to have that type of 
I guess, understanding with my team, our, our ability to get so much more out of a, an event just grew uh, exponentially. And we were able to even make our own events much better because of what we learned. And it was yeah. through, the, through the networking. That's great. I, I'm actually really excited about the potential of working with conferences and conference organizers, meeting planners, but also working with sales teams who go to all of these, you know, conferences and they're, they have booths at different uh, expos and like their whole job is to be present and even the marketing people. So I, I'm very excited because I think it's going to hopefully change the way people relate to each other. But we're coming to the end. I feel like Jennifer, I could talk to you all day and I'm really glad that we are someone that I get to see all the time. But the question I always like to kind of wrap up with is if we had the opportunity to see each other a year from now and you were telling me about all the amazing accomplishments that you've experienced, what would we be celebrating? Wow, gosh. Um, So a couple of things. Uh, There are a couple of conferences. Workforce Human, I think, is an amazing conference. Uh, Susan Cain who wrote the, the book on Quiet Revolution, spoke there recently. And so for me, if I were to say, what's my big, hairy, audacious goal? Um, as you know, my mission, I'm writing this book on thriving through acquisition, but my overall mission is to rediscover the humanity in business. I feel like we've lost sight of the people part of business, particularly in this data-driven era where it's, uh, it's just everything's got to be based on big data and there's artificial intelligence, we've started to lose the human component of business. And so my initial effort on writing a book on mergers and acquisition was to remind us of the human piece of it. So if next year when you and I are talking, I will have spoken at the Workforce uh, Human Conference and I will have had an opportunity to meet with at least 20 companies who have gone through an acquisition, who I have helped be successful in that acquisition because they've brought me in. I've been able to inspire their teams to see the opportunity in the chaos, to understand how best to navigate through it and to succeed. And that I will have reached, uh, my goal would be able to reach at least 1,000 to 5,000 people in a year's time to have had my message somehow connect with them in some way, shape or form. Uh, and to have that level of followership and people hearing not only the message, but acting upon it, uh, for their own benefit. So that for me would be, um, pretty good goal to have year one. Yeah. I cheers to that. That sounds fantastic. Um, and I know that I'll be supporting you along the way over the next year and achieving all those goals. So <clears throat> share with us, uh, what are the best ways to, to find you or follow your work? So first and foremost would be my website, Jennifer J. Fondreve, and I'll spell that. Took me years to figure out how to spell my name. That's F as in Frank O-N, D as in David R-E, V as in Victor A-Y, jenniferjfondreve.com. The great thing about it is there is only one other Fondreve out in the world, another female Fondreve, and that is my sister. (laughs) So I know no one else will accidentally stumble on someone else's website. I'm the only one with that name. And that truly is that what my website demonstrates the mission that I'm on, how I help companies, the speaking engagements that I do, and the book that I'm writing. And I am always soliciting possible uh, people to interview for the book as well. Because for me, it's a growing community that I'm creating. And with each conversation I have, 
I have one more example of how people are are learning how to thrive through uh, through acquisition. So I'd say that first and foremost um, at JJ Fondreve uh, is my Twitter handle, and always looking to uh, have more people following me as I'm following more and more people every day. Those really, I would say, are the the two key things. You can always find me on LinkedIn, but would love to get to know people through my website. Great. This is fantastic. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you for having me, Robbie. Really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jennifer Fondrave. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 62. Now you heard me and Jennifer raving about Dory Clark and her Recognized Expert course. Dory has created a framework to help people become recognized experts, and she leads them through the process step by step. The three things you need are content, social proof, and a network. If you're wondering how you rank in these three areas, you should download Dory's free Recognized Expert Evaluation Toolkit at doryclark.com slash Robbie. It helps assess where you are in the process of becoming a recognized expert and shows you exactly how to accelerate your momentum. Download it at doryclark.com slash Robbie. That's D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K dot com forward slash R-O-B-B-I-E. Then stay tuned because Dory will be opening up her course again in November 2017. I am happy to chat if you have questions about joining. The link will be in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 62. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on iTunes. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.